Hallelujah! Sermon for today, and uh, let's open up with the uh, uh, the scriptures here. This is Titus chapter two, verses eleven through fourteen. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to ransom us from all wickedness and purify himself for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Father, as we uh, open up your word, Lord, uh, in this message, I pray, Lord God, that you would visit us with your strength and power. And during this time of uh, year when we celebrate the birth of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord God, uh, that we would uh, uh, seek to find out what uh, it, its meaning is for us individually. And I thank you, uh, Lord, for visiting us, Lord, and uh, anointing these lips of clay that I might bring forth your message that you have shared with me to your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. The, uh, I'm going to speak to you this morning from the message, Three Wise uh, Ways to See Christmas. It's part of kind of a mini-series on Christmas that I'm going to be doing. And it's this Sunday and next Sunday, of course, because next Sunday is Christmas Day. And the pattern for both messages is going to be uh, the same. I'm going to talk about Christmases, past, present, and future. Now, when you think about that, some of you may think of uh, the uh, story that short novel that was written by uh, Charles Dickens entitled A Christmas Carol. Uh, it was published in 1843 and it's very famous. They've uh, had uh, a lot of plays that have been uh, dedicated to it and also some movies too. You know, the first time I ever heard about uh, uh, A Christmas Carol it was a, they had a little uh, program on at Christmas time that was starring Mr. Magoo. How many of you remember Mr. Magoo? You know, the cartoon character. And they uh, entitled it Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. And in the uh, cartoon, Mr. Magoo played the role of Ebenezer Scrooge, who's the central character in the story. And it's a story of a man by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge, who's this miserly old man who gets visited by the ghost of uh, uh, Marley, his uh, former uh, partner in, you know, in uh, uh, their money-making schemes. And Marley comes to him, his ghost, and he's bound up in these chains and heavy weights, and he tells. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge that he is going to suffer the same fate unless he turns his life around. And he tells them you're going to be visited by three ghosts 
uh, you know, tonight, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas uh, present, and the ghost of uh, uh, Christmas future. And so that's what happens is uh, during the night, Ebenezer Scrooge gets visited by the ghost of Christmas past. And the ghost of Christmas past takes him to his past life. And uh, he sees one Christmas party that he went to with his fiance. And at that particular Christmas party, his uh, uh, fiance breaks off the engagement. She says, you'll never love me as much as you love money. And then the ghost of Christmas present comes and he uh, takes him to see the Christmas celebration at the home of uh, his uh, uh, employee named, I, I think it was Bob Cratchit. And uh, Bob Cratchit, uh, they're having a wonderful time as a family. And that's when he first finds out about Tiny Tim, who's Bob Cratchit's uh, son, who's uh, very ill. You know, he's uh, crippled, he's on crutches and everything. And if he doesn't get uh, proper medical attention, he will die soon. And then finally, the ghost of uh, Christmas future appears to him. And the ghost of Christmas uh, future uh, shows him his future demise, that he's going to die soon. And then it shows that all of his clients and acquaintances are all gathered around, and they're auctioning off all of these expensive possessions that he had accumulated through the years for really a really low price, you know, a fraction of the cost. And, uh, and uh, he says they're all celebrating because he's died now and they get all of this good stuff, you know, at a, a reduced price. And then he says, well, you know, is there anyone that uh, people will mourn if they uh, pass away? And then he takes him to, again, uh, Tiny Tim, shows him his grave and how, you know, the Cratchit family was just mourning him. And uh, uh, then he gets the epiphany. And he realizes that, you know, his love of money has really cost him er virtually everything in life. He will someday die, and then he will have nothing to show for it. You know, so anyway, he gets the epiphany, and he uh, uh, goes out, and he buys a big uh, uh, turkey for a Christmas celebration at the uh, uh, Cratchit house. And then he makes sure that uh, Tiny Tim's medical expenses are paid so that he won't uh, die. And uh, uh, he gives to the poor and everything. Because he realized that there's something more to life than just himself. Now, that's a really nice story, isn't it? He, you know, he gets this epiphany. And the problem is, though, you know what that leaves out? It leaves out Jesus, right? And Jesus is the reason for this season. Amen? You see, when I was a boy growing up in Sunday school, they used to teach us about what joy means. And they made a little acronym. And that was J-O-Y. Jesus, others, and you. You put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Okay? So, Ebenezer Scrooge gets this epiphany, and he realizes he needs to think of others. But he still doesn't think of Jesus. 
And Jesus is the most important part of Christmas. Amen? You know, and this is the way that the world thinks. Is, uh, the, th- the world thinks, well, maybe we should think of others before ourselves. Uh, you know, and, you know, we need to be good people. We need to be kind-hearted. Uh, but at the same time, they leave no commitment to the Lord. And that's what uh, Christmas is all about, is we dedicate ourselves anew. He, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So what should our response be in return? We need to give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave us his son, now we give ourselves to him. Now, in our opening scripture... Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, we see this same outline of past, present, and future. I'm going to read the scripture to you again, and I want you to notice the tenses of the verbs. I've uh, underlined them up on the uh, uh, PowerPoint presentation. For the grace of God has appeared. That's past, right? Christmas past. That offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, present tense, that's our Christmas present, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to leave self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait, we're waiting right now, that's future. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, in these four verses, Paul helps us to consider Christmas in three wise ways. First of all, we need to understand Christmas past. Verse 11 says, The grace of of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So this tells us that the story of Jesus bringing salvation happened at a very specific time and place. It's not a myth, as some people uh, think it is. The coming of Jesus in a cradle and then to the cross is the hinge of all history. While we cannot prove, quote unquote, many aspects of faith, Jesus' good news is a truthful story that's that's, uh, supported by a mountain of evidence. In Acts chapter 26, verse 26, Paul is making his defense of his Christian faith before the king named Agrippa. And he adds to, to uh, when he's talking about the birth of Jesus and uh, how he got saved, he adds uh, by saying, this was not done in a corner. 
In other words, King Agrippa, you know all about these things, about the Lord Jesus Christ, how he went about doing good, and that he was crucified on that cross, and that he was raised from the dead. So the Christmas coming of Jesus Christ is open for full investigation. You know, Josh McDowell wrote a book entitled Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And when I first got serious about my Christian faith back in 1975, that was one of the books that God put in my hands. And that gives uh, historical evidences for the Christian faith. So God's purpose in that first Christmas was the delivery of His grace. John said that in seeing Jesus, he and others saw God's grace and truth in human form. John chapter uh, 1 verse 14. And this is what God wants to see, uh, uh, you know, for us to see not only in Christmas, but also every day of the year. Jesus is the greatest of all gifts because he brings us mercy and grace. He makes possible the forgiveness of sins and the atonement as the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He is the atonement for our sins. In Christ we are justified. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says that, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ we are also made righteous. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on, uh, for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Remember, I've talked to you about righteousness before. We don't stand before God on the day of judgment righteous because of our own works. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before him. It says there in Isaiah 64 verse 6. We only stand before him righteous because we clothe ourselves with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Just as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. He is also our ransom. That is, we have been bought back. We have been bought back from our debt of sin. He buys us back from Satan. Jesus said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And that ransom was paid to redeem us so that we might have a new identity as God's adopted children who are full heirs with Christ. It says in Galatians chapter 4 verse 5, to redeem us. He paid the ransom so he could redeem us to those that were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus Christ was a son of God by nature. He is the eternal God in human flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, 
And then it says in verse 14 of John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what we are celebrating on Christmas Day, the word becoming flesh, the very eternal God becoming human flesh. So Jesus was literally born so that he might die for us in our sin uh, and our sins. That was his central message in life. You know, I've got a book in my library called Call to Die, and it recalls the martyrdom of a Christian missionary uh, in Colombia. He was kidnapped by the uh, communist guerrillas and later executed. And so the title of the book is Called to Die. God called him so that he might die. And that's, you know, just another way of living out what Jesus lived. Jesus was born to die for the sins of the world. Sure, he went around and gave us some of the most wonderful teachings of the world. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, uh, chapters 5 through 7, is maybe the greatest treatise of mor on morality that mankind has ever received. But the main thing about Jesus was not just his teachings, but the fact that he came here to earth to die for our sins. So that was his central mission in life. This indescribable gift, as Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, is freely offered by God to all people. This includes rich or poor, powerful or powerless, um, male or female, young or old. All people from every tribe, nation, or tongue are sought by God to receive this gift, free gift of salvation. And that's why Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. I went there to uh, preach the gospel to Thai people. And Dolly is a testament that the Great Commission is alive and well even today. It's as valid today as it was 2,000 years ago when the Lord Jesus Christ gave that first Great Commission. Okay, so take a minute, moment to remember when you first saw God's salvation in Christ Jesus. I pray that everybody here is saved and knows the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you should ask yourself, where was I? You know, who was with me? And who did I first tell? Do you even tell anybody about your salvation? You know, what is your salvation history? You know, I shared with you uh, my Christian testimony just a, uh, a Sunday or two ago, you know, how it's just, uh, you know, out of, you know, what what man might think of as coincidence. A family moved next door to us when I was a small boy of uh, about seven years old, maybe not even seven, and they invited me to come to church. And then uh, maybe about a year and a half later, I continued to uh, attend that church, attending the Sunday school, and then one day, the pastor there, uh, past, his name was uh, Pastor Richard Ralph 
shirk. He just called all the Sunday school people, you know, the, uh, the children in the Sunday schools to come together. And he preached to us the message of salvation. And it touched my heart. And I went forward and I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And then Dr. Shirk was had gone within, uh, you know, maybe about a year of that time. So that family that moved next door to us, they were only in my life for maybe about a year. And then Dr. Shirk was only in my life for about another year. And then God took him home. But during that time, I found the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. So I encourage you, you know, think about your salvation experience. Hopefully all of you have had one. You know, how it came about. Because God works His miracles in mysterious ways. You know, you know in, in a real sense, that was your first Christmas. Amen? You received Jesus into your life. You became born again. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in that uh, manger, right? But Jesus, when the day that Jesus came in your life, that, in a real sense, was your real, first real Christmas. The day that Jesus was born in your heart. Amen? You ever think of it that way? It's true. Amen? That was your first real Christmas. The day that He came into your life and you were born again. Secondly, we need to live in Christmas present. Christmas is also a present reality. It's been said that conversion, quote unquote, is the end of the faith, the front end. Put it this way, conversion is not a, an end in itself, but it's rather the beginning of a new life in Jesus Christ. Paul said to Titus in Titus chapter 2 verse 12 that God's grace in Christ teaches us notice it's present tense to say no to godly things and yes to holy things in this present age. The Christian faith with Jesus is a daily, moment-by-moment -moment reality. There was a man uh, by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How many of you ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a uh, Christian pas uh, pastor during the in Nazi Germany during the first part of the uh, uh, 20th century, first half of the 20th century. And because Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached the Lord Jesus Christ and he stood against the Nazi uh, Holocaust uh, being exerted on the Jews, he himself was taken and put into a concentration camp. And two weeks before World War II ended, they came for Dietrich Bonhoeffer and martyred him. He lost his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now he... And he wrote a book entitled The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he coined the phrase cheap grace. He says that so many Christians 
Just think of grace as this free gift that God freely gives to us. And He does. But on the one hand, while salvation is free, on the other hand, it will cost you everything if it is uh, <clears throat> genuine. You know, so many people think that we come to Christ and that's the end of it. But it's not the end of it. It's just the beginning, brothers and sisters. The grace is there also to help us to overcome evil and become more Christ-like in our lives. So, like I said, on the one hand, grace costs you nothing. It's a free gift. On the other hand, it will cost you everything. Now, I've been quoting for you many times over the last few weeks, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You ought to have it memorized by now. Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. Picking up the cross means living a life of deep surrender. And then he follows that verse with Luke chapter 9, verse 24. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's it mean to keep your life or save your life? That means you still continue to live in your self-will. You live for others. Uh, you live for yourself, right? Remember J-O-Y? You still live for yourself. You're at, at the tail end of that. And you should be last. Jesus should be first. Okay? That's not the way to live. We're supposed to lose our life. That is, surrender our self-will to the Lord Jesus Christ. And only then shall we really find true life. So therefore, we do not believe in shallow conversionism. You know, turning to Christ initially in confession, repentance, and faith is essential, but it must be followed up by the daily walk of a joyful and eager disciple. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. You know, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Apostle Paul was writing the book of Ephesians while he was in a Roman prison for the cause of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why he calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. You know, if he renounced the Lord, he probably could have gone free at that very moment. You know, I'll renounce the Lord. I'll start worshiping all of these Roman and pagan gods and goddesses. They would have let him go free. But he says, I'm a willing prisoner. Remember I said too that he was a doulos. He was a willing servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. It's well been said that salvation, that is the justification of a person, is the miracle of a moment. Sanctification is the miracle of a lifetime. 
When Jesus is king of our hearts, it means that we submit to him and welcome him to teach us what to reject. We're to reject worldliness. We're to reject sin and the temptation that the devil throws our way. Disciples must learn to say no consistently to that which tempts us away from the overflowing joyful new life that Jesus makes possible. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10, he said, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. That's what Jesus offers us. He offers us eternal life, the life to come, the life spent in heaven with him and his father for all eternity. But he offers the abundant life for us in the here and now. If we will think of this in terms of the Christian present. He's, it's a sanctification that is you become more and more holy every day. As you resist temptation and the worldly, the way that the world thinks. Now we live in a culture that believes that anything we feel or imagine is legitimate. Some call this being your authentic self. But God tells us that we are made in His image, but that sin has warped and twisted and broken that image so that our hearts are despairingly uh, wicked. Uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9. I shared uh, with you about that verse. I think it was uh, last week. And the uh, uh, verse actually said, The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately uh, uh, incurably sick. We are incurably sick in our carnal nature. And that's why we need to put to death that old self and become alive in Christ. We need God's immediate salvation and His daily transformation through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, God's Word, and the supportive, encouraging, and accountable fellowship of God's people. That's why we are that last one. We were to come here and assemble together and make ourselves accountable to each other. It says in the Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We're to encourage each other to continue to grow and thrive in the Christian faith. And Jesus warned that the process needed to be both removing evil uh, from our lives and replacing it with the good. Relationship, remember what I was, uh, you know, we can wrongly uh, uh, reduce our faith to a checklist of do's or don'ts and miss the relationship with God because, but, because that's the most important thing is as we reject what is evil. And uh, remember I told you about the sin? Whenever you sin, it's like you, you know, the, the wall that was separating us from God has been broken down by Jesus. 
uh, you know, when he, he perished on the cross. But when we sin, we erect that, that wall of separation between us and God anew. We need to get rid of that wall because we sin daily. Is anybody out there that does not sin daily? I know that I do. You know, I have a wrong thought that pops into my mind. If I entertain it, that's sin. If I don't do what is right, you know, it says in James, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Okay? So we need to be breaking down that wall of sin daily. It says in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to be doing that every day. Okay, so uh, if you don't do that, then you cut off yourself from a relationship with the living God. And that relationship with the living God is why Jesus went to the cross in the first place. To break down that wall of sin so that we might have a relationship with Him. And remember that quote that I gave you about uh, Greg Glory from, uh, I think I gave it to you last week. He says, you can have all, you can have the outward without the inward. What's he mean by that? You can show outwardly, you can produce all these good works, but you still don't have that inward relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, that's what Ebenezer Scrooge did. You know, he had his epiphany and he, he started doing the outward, but, you know, there's no record of anything about him receiving Christ into his life in Charles Dickens' story. So he still didn't have the inward He put the O in, in joy, but he didn't have the J at the very beginning. He didn't have Jesus. Ray Glory says you can have the outward without the inward, but you can't have the inward without having the out outward always. Also, and the reason for that is if you have the inward, then you produce the good works. But the good works do not cause salvation. They are the result. You produce the works because out of love for Jesus and a love for other people. That should be our motivation. Not because we're trying to get in work ourselves into a right relationship. You have the right relationship if you put the J first in joy. And if you do that, then you will produce the, the good works that should come. That's what, J, what James means when he says, faith without works is dead. You know, out, actors dress up like the characters they play. And they, they, they supposedly are to take on a whole different attitude, you know, to play the character that they play. And it, it's so easy for us as Christians to just be actors too. But we're not to be, just be the actors. We're to have that inward relationship. We need that inward transformation. Paul describes the, that this daily change of sanctification. 
as being like changing our wardrobe from our stained and torn rags of sin and our own self-righteousness, as I've pointed out that Isaiah talked about, to the royal robes of godliness. In Christ, we are to have the opportunity to dress up in a new style of living. Remember, as we saw last week in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Remember I told you about this? We're to put off the old man and the old manner of living and put on the new man, the new man that is born again in Christ Jesus. It says also in Ephesians, or Romans, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 13, verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to obey its lusts. So today, in this Christmas season, what is the Spirit of Christ saying to you? What needs to change in your life? Is there a favorite sin that still nags at you? You know, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he is referring to the, what's called the hall of faith, the great uh, Old Testament saints. In, in, you know, in, in, he refers to them in Hebrews chapter 11. We are surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses, the ones that have persevered to the end during the Old Testament times. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And I think we all have sins that uh, we keep ensnaring us. Seems like over and over again, it seems very hard to get the victory over that one particular sin. Okay, so let's lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what does Christ want you to say no to in a fresh and emphatic commitment? Only you can answer that for yourself as you look down deep into your soul. Conversely, what do you see, need to say yes to? What needs to fill the spaces of your heart and spirit? You know, they have the saying that uh, nature abhors a vacuum. What do you think of when you think of vacuum? Well, you think of a vacuum cleaner. But think of a vacuum like what they mean in a... Uh, in, in a chemistry lab, you know, they'll put a vessel there and they'll vacuum out all the air in it. You take away the stopper on that, what happens? The air rushes back in. Nature abhors that vacuum. It wants to fill it up. So you can't just pull stuff out of your life and get rid of it, you know, and indeed, you're supposed to do that. You know, pull out the sin and the, the other thing, all the, uh, you know, things of the flesh that we love to do. You can pull that out, but you've got to fill it back up with something. And you fill it back up 
with godly things. You fill it back up with the word of God. You fill it back up with prayer and getting quiet before the Lord and learning to hear his voice. You need to do that to fill up that space in your life. It's a worthy quote. A disciple is someone who gives up all he knows of himself, all he loves about himself, for all that he knows of Christ each day. So, are you a disciple of Christ, brothers and sisters? Who's a disciple of Christ? I am. I don't see any hands out there. <laughs> okay. Are you a disciple of Christ? If you're a disciple of Christ, prove it. Prove it by godly living. Saying no to the flesh and its desires and saying yes to the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Third and finally, we need to hope in Christmas future. That is, we hope in the Christmas yet to come. And what am I talking about the Christmas yet to come? Jesus made his first advent. You know, that's what we celebrate on Christmas Day. But how many of you believe he's coming again? That's a Christmas future, right? And as magnificent as Jesus' first advent on that first Christmas, his second advent is going to be even more glorious. So the third time reference that Paul gives to Titus in this gospel summary is in Titus 2.13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, waiting is one of the uh, greatest parts of Christmas. You know, especially uh, and wait with joyful anticipation when you're a kid, right? How I many of you know what I mean? You know, when you're a child, you can't wait for Christmas morning to roll around. When you got the big tree and the presents all scattered around. So, the certain expectation of the coming celebration. You know, from the time we are children, we learn the experience of looking forward to Christmas. I remember when I was a boy... Uh, growing up in El Cajon, California, which is a suburb of San Diego, about 15 miles east. And uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving there in El Cajon, they had what they called the Mother Goose Parade. And they would invite, you know, these bands and troops from all over the county to come and participate in that parade. And so you'd have these marching bands and these troops. You know, my own sister belonged to a baton troop. And she marched in uh, the Mother Goose Parade a few times. And, of course, they had the, all the floats and they had the uh, uh, Mother Goose uh, Queen or Princess. I can't remember uh, what, what they called her exactly. And every, we had, always had a, a great time. And that was all, uh, you know, they, they staged that usually the Sunday after Thanksgiving or Sunday before, something like that. And uh, we, uh, uh, you know, as luck would have it, uh, you know, the church that I attended, First Baptist Church of El Cajon, was located only about a block from Main Street where they had the Mother Goose Parade. So we'd go to church and, you know, get up maybe a little after uh, noon. And I think they uh, started the parade at 1 o'clock. So I remember as a young boy, you know, uh, 
10, 11 years old, sitting there on the curb waiting for the parade to come by. And I'd look up at the street lights over there, and they had already decked out the uh, light standards there with all of the tinsel and everything in anticipation of the coming Christmas, you know, which is only uh, maybe less than a month away. And I looked at that and I think, ah, Christmas is coming. I can hardly wait you know, get all the uh, presents. And best of all, two weeks off from school. Hallelujah. So I look for it in anticipation. And that's the way that we need to anticipate the second coming too. <clears throat> so, it seem, you know, by the way, it seems like this anticipation gets earlier each year, right? You have all the uh, uh, tinsel and lights and gifts idea, especially the gifts idea, because people want you to come and uh, patronize their uh, stores and their. Uh, now they got you know Amazon their their service and everything. It gets earlier and earlier, you know, because Christ, Christmas has become so commercialized, and it ought not to be, brothers and sisters, because so often Jesus gets lost in the process. So as believers, we have a living hope of what is to come. We are waiting not just for a yearly celebration of Christ's first coming. We have a blessed hope. That Jesus is coming again. Everybody say that. Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. And we know that when he comes again, it's not going to be in a stable or a manger uh, as a baby. He's going to be coming again with the sound of trumpets and the voices of archangels. And the whole universe will hear. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And the next time he comes... It will not be in a cradle or a manger, but rather it's going to be clear to all that he is the reigning and glorious king over all things. And when he comes, evil and suffering and tears will cease and righteousness, goodness and peace will be the rule of the day. How glorious is going to be that day? Can you say amen to that? So, conclusion. Don't Give up hope. It's easier for us to look at Christmas past, both long ago on that first Christmas morning, uh, of, uh, and, and our own Christmas past. And these are often very fond memories. I'm sure that probably all of us have really fond memories of those uh, Christmas past. It's harder for us to imagine the scope and scale of this blessed hope, though, that Paul is talking about in his letter to Titus. Our world is so broken and dark, and God's timing is unknowable. It's easy for us to lose our grip on God's ultimate promises. And God counsels us away from the two extremes. First of all, we're not to be clock and calendar watches, you know, trying to predict when God's will, uh, when God will fulfill our hope in Christ. How many people in all these different cults, and even some Christian pastors, you know, we had uh, uh, this one uh, radio pastor that was predicting Jesus' return, and it didn't happen. How many time, time and time again does this happen? People set dates, and Jesus does not return. And Jesus himself said, no man knows the hour or the day. 
That's what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus gives the what, but not the when. The timing belongs to God alone. So don't run, run ahead of him. But neither are we to be naive and lazy, thinking that he is coming so soon that our daily service is not required. Jesus said, occupy until I come. What's that mean? It means you go about your daily lives, not just working, you know, doing the things that you need to survive and pay your rent and things like that, but it means you're to be about his business. You are to be worthy and profitable servants for his kingdom. We're not to sit around on our hands as Paul uh, tells the uh, Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Don't sit around on your hands expecting him to return any moment and then you forget what you're supposed to be doing. If you're a servant of the Lord, it's kind of like the uh, uh, parable of the uh, uh, ten virgins. Five virgins brought along their uh, extra oil for their lamps so they wouldn't go out. And it says that the other ones, well, you know, they didn't have enough oil. So what happened? Their, their uh, lamps ran out. And they weren't re- ready for when the Lord returned, the bridegroom came. And perhaps the greatest danger is that we lose our hope by becoming scoffers. You know, we say, well, you know, it's been long and everything. Uh, you know, Jesus still hasn't returned. It's been 2,000 years. You know, is he ever going to really return? We become scoffers and think that God will never make good on his promised return. And that's the spirit of unbelief. Paul talks about that, he says, uh, in uh, Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. See, that's the, the key is that they're walking after their own lusts. They don't want to believe that Jesus is going to come because they know that when he does come, he's going to bring judgment. And have you been, do you even know him? And if you do know him, are you being a profitable servant for him? And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Okay? So Jesus is coming back. Amen? He's coming back. Are you ready for him? He's going to make good on his promise. And when it happens, Peter says... Further there in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Jesus said, I'll come as a thief in the night. You you don't know the day or hour that I'm going to come. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt and fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in it shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things uh, shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy living and godliness? The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 3. He talked about the coming of the Lord will come and he's going to change 
our body so that we will be like him. That's what we look forward to. But then John says, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he also is pure. So these scoffers don't preach God's good news. Jesus is coming, brothers and sisters. His righteousness will rule and reign. And the Christmas Prince of Peace will bring the peace we long for uh, today. We need that as we long for our great King. So, final thoughts and then I'm done. When we look at this broken world, we pray with the Apostle John. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen. You know, those are the last two verses of the Bible. There are so many ways to, to look at Christmas. We can look at it through lights and decorations and tinsel and music. Or we can see it in the glory in the faces of children, both ours and others. But as God's children, let us ask our Father to help us see Christmas fresh and new. Timely and timeless through the eyes of refreshed faith. And when we do, we find ourselves transformed in ways that are even more profound in fact, infinitely more profound than the epiphany of Ebenezer Scrooge. Can you say amen to that? Okay, let's uh, bow our heads and uh, uh, pray. Father, we come before you and uh, we th praise and thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came to us, Lord God, the greatest expression of your love that he was born as a little baby in a manger over 2,000 years ago. And uh, Lord, that was his first advent. Help us to never forget that he is coming again too. And therefore, we need to have him come into our lives, Lord, and be born again. And Lord, uh, I just pray for everybody here that they are born again and uh, have received Jesus Christ into their lives. And if they are not born again, if you are not born again here this morning, you can be born again in just an instant if you will pray with me this prayer. Father in heaven, I praise and thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to this world. He was born to die. He was born that he might teach us how to live but then to die upon the cross for the sins of the world. And I am a sinner. And I need him to come into my life and to wash away my sins with his precious blood. And Lord, I just uh, invite him into my life now to wash away my sins and to come and make me whole. I pray that he would come that I might have a relationship with him and that he would uh, show me how to live a holy life for he, uh, him and become 
a productive servant for his kingdom. Thank you now, Lord Jesus, for coming into my life and setting me free and making me whole. Thank you, Lord, that uh, this is the true meaning of Christmas, that you were born in that manger at that first advent, and Lord, that you are going to come again. And Lord, we look forward to that blessed day, Lord, the great coming of the great, uh, the arrival of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that that day will someday come. And help us, Lord, not to be scoffers and just become impatient or set dates, Lord God, but help us to eagerly anticipate it just the way that we anticipated Christian uh, Christmas when uh, uh, we were children. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this new perspective on Christmas. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.